0: And welcome into what we hope for you is a very lovely, beautiful day. I am John Rawl, and I am here for the next three hours on post and ready to give you a hundred and what is it, six, twelve, uh, six, 180 minutes. Yeah, I got to do some math real quick before they stop teaching it in school. Yeah, it is three hours of conversation about the Southeast, and we're locked and loaded and ready to bring it to you here on this y'all show. Let me give you a quick idea of what we're going to be talking about today. We've got headlines from across the southeast. Fred is on our mind, and it ain't the Fred from Sanford and Son. Elizabeth, oh, I'm not coming to join you. i got to tell you about this potential hurricane that's going to be causing problems. We've got an update from the tropics. We'll share that with you as we cover the headlines of today's Y'all show. We also will tell you COVID 19 information out of the Commonwealth of Virginia and the state of Texas. The Republicans there have signed arrest warrants to end the Democrats' holdout. I'll give you the latest on all of that. A video of a man giving a tattoo in South Carolina has helped, and he did this at a McDonald's in the Palmetto state. Now that's led to his arrest, thank goodness. We've got a report of three different shark bite incidents across the southeast that we'll share with you, plus some good news if you want to go camping in some of our national parks over the next few days. All of that is part of our headlines on today's Y'all Show. We have some sports news. Baylor, an update on the Bears as some developments from their long standing, if that's the way you want to say it, the long debated, the long Agony for the Bears, their legal woes, and more. And today, the NCAA putting out a statement they're not going to punish Baylor for sexual assault allegations. I'll have more info on our sports report coming up in just a few minutes, plus any and all news coming from NFL training camp camps as we've got preseason football kicking off big time on Thursday. All that is part of our Southern Sports Report. Also here today... We're on a 44-city tour across the southeast and our special school today that we're going to tell you all about the school, the 2021 season, what we expect out of their rookie coach, their brand-new coach, coaching this team, some of the traditions, and some of the famous alumni. All of that will be part of our latest stop today. Our latest stop today is going to be on west end avenue nashville tennessee it's all about the vanderbilt commodores on today's y'all show and i'm going to tell you about clark lee the new coach i'll tell you what some of the experts are saying about vandy football for 2021 and in hour three we're going to talk about the traditions the dropping of the anchor the anchor walk the Great fun that you'll have at a Vanderbilt Stadium contest. All that is part of our feature of Vanderbilt Commodore Athletics here on our tour. We're stopping by Nashville, and we'll have Vandy here in just a few minutes with the info on the doors. Before the hour is up, Melissa Rhodes has a report on Southern culture. Can't wait to see what she's got going on today. Hour two today, we're going to keep the college football discussion going. We've got an article at CBS Sports titled The Top College Football Team in Each State. Now, we care here on this show about the 16 southern states, and so we'll walk through each of those 16 states of which you might live in one of those states, and we hope you do, and we'll let you know the number one team, and some of them might be a little bit of a surprise in your state. The top, not the most favorite, not the one with the most... Fans, perhaps, but actually, according to CBS Sports, the top college football team in each state. We've got that coming up in hour or two. Plus, we'll tell you an hour or two, a little bit of southern business news and notes. And we've got, unfortunately, some business news, not from a positive perspective, coming out of Tennessee, with a auto plant being affected by the computer chip, computer chip sor- shortage. I'll tell you about that. But also, thanks to CNBC's Jordan Smith, he has posted on YouTube how the global computer chip shortage happened. And we're going to play that interview up, at least a portion that he's got up from CNBC about how in the world we're having a shortage of so many things right now, including cars and trucks. And it all ties into a global computer chip shortage. And I was just at a dealership, a brand new dealership being unveiled the other day, and they had a lot of cars and trucks in their parking lot, but I asked someone who worked for General Motors, the home office actually out of Detroit, I said, "What what's going on? Why, why are there all these shortages of cars? And she explained to me, it's because of a computer chip shortage, and so you'll learn exactly what that means In hour two, in our Southern Business Report, we also have, in addition to the SBR Southern Business Report, we got the SBR Southern Book Report coming your way, hour number two. And I've got a look at the hot new reads, including a new John Grisham book that is out, and a look at the bestsellers on the New York Times bestsellers list. That is headed your way, hour number two. Hour number three, we'll have more sports information to pass along. And more on the Vanderbilt Commodores, today's Spotlight School, as we're tell you about the traditions and the famous alumni. And I'll be quite honest, I'm going to tell you a personal connection I have with Vanderbilt. At least one website has their most famous alumnus from Vanderbilt. I've had the chance to interview. And this famous alumnus is someone who I know SEC schools, you like to pick on Vanderbilt for maybe not having the athletic success. They may not have the riches that some of the schools have. They may not be the size of some of their SEC brethren. But Vanderbilt, to my knowledge, is the only SEC school that has one of these bad, not boys, bad girls. And I mean that in a joking way. They're the only college that has this. And The most famous alumnus of Vanderbilt is part of that equation, and I just can't tell you what that is. You're going to have to stick around to hour number three, and I've had a chance to talk to this alumnus, and I, I feel so excited. This alumnus, by the way, is an alumnus, but they didn't graduate from VU, but they still went there, okay? And that is something, Vanderbilt, you can be extremely happy and you can lift your head high that you're the only SEC school that I'm aware of That has one of these. All right. Got you on the edge of your seat. I know. If you want to be part of y'all talk with a Southern accent, it is easy to do that. You can text us at 803-816-1170. We've got a whole staff over here at the Dixie Cafe where we're broadcasting from ready to get your text and calls, your love letters, if you will, your hate letters. We'll take either one. Let us know what's on your mind across the South here on this Wednesday y'all show. Also, you can drop us an email, mail, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. And don't forget, you can find us bright and beautiful at y'all.com. That is the South homepage, dot com. Go there and check out this show. We have our own tab at the top of y'all.com. Just look for Y'all Show, and there you'll be able to find the podcast edition of the show, we got so many other great articles up, great interviews, great videos that you can watch, and it's free. Two important words from the y'all.com website. Two important four letter words. The one four letter word important from y'all.com is F R E E. It's free. You can go to the y'all show and y'all.com on Facebook. Look for y'all.com on Facebook and please follow our page. We need all the followers we can get that's all i'm asking from you southerners the other important four-letter word that's part of our website is the domain name yall.com yall.com and free that's all you need to know to get through what's happening here on the show all about the south and we have those other great podcast forms for you to be able to touch base with us here. We're on Spotify, we're on the iHeart Radio app, the TuneIn app, Apple Podcast, Stitcher and maybe there's one or two more. We're all over the place and we're trying to be all over the place and we need your help. We need y'all to help us get to where we want to be, the South's talk show. We we are that. We just need to have the whole South realize that and That's why we're asking for a little small southern favor out of you. Help us grow the show. Help us make sure that we give you three hours each and every day of southern conversation that you'll be entertained, educated, and proud of. That's one of our main goals today. Starting our headlines here in our first hour of the y'all show, Fred is the name of the game, Tropical Storm Fred. The projected path of this new tropical storm that has formed in the tropics. Its path puts most of Florida in play, also in the cone of uncertainty, as it's called from the National Hurricane Center. Based on the projections I'm seeing, not only is the entire sunshine state in the cone of uncertainty, half of Georgia, half of Alabama, portions of Louisiana and Mississippi all in this cone of uncertainty. It looks like this thing is projected to take more of a Gulf of Mexico route versus scooting along to the east of Cuba and going along the Atlantic side of Florida. That's what the current projections that are out today as right now, the sustained winds of this tropical storm, 45 miles per hour, Fred is the sixth named storm of 2021, crossing the Gulf of Mexico this weekend and possibly making landfall still as a tropical storm, most likely on the Florida Panhandle on Monday morning. Forecasters are cautioning that Fred's long-range track is certainly uncertain. Areas from the Mississippi and Alabama coast to the Florida Peninsula should remain on alert throughout the weekend. That's going to affect, I'm sure, most of your travel plans if you're trying to get in one last visit to the Gulf Coast this weekend, if you're a Gulf Coast vacationer. Fred has the potential to bring flooding rain and gusty winds to the island of Hispaniola. That is the Dominican Republic and Hades island that those two countries are settled upon. As of 1 o'clock Central Time today, the center of Tropical Storm Fred was located 30 miles west of Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic and it was moving west-northwest at 16 miles per hour. The hurricane's Center's official track takes the center of Fred over the Dominican Republic today, then near the Turks and Caicos Islands and the southeastern Bahamas on Thursday and just to the north of Cuba on Friday. Now, one report I was hearing earlier today was concerned about Puerto Rico But to my knowledge, this thing's kind of already gone past Puerto Rico. Maybe there was some damage of some sort there. But this thing appears to have strengthened after it got past Puerto Rico. And now it is currently located more toward Cuba. And it's going to start playing a role in the Florida forecast starting early on Saturday morning. Look for it to possibly arrive Saturday early morning on into Sunday throughout the day. Again, more in a Gulf Coast trek versus a Atlantic trek if you were forecasting this stuff. I don't know about y'all. I actually enjoy tracking hurricanes. It's kind of fun. Maybe it's because I like maps. And perhaps it's the uncertainty. Maybe it's the fact that I've survived a hurricane in my life. I was able to get it inland enough to not necessarily be there when the really scary stuff. Would, but I had to. I had to put my stuff up in the ceiling as I left town, and I came back not knowing if anything was going to be there. I came back, and I had to drink water out of jugs for a while because all of the local water after a hurricane tastes like tree roots for a long time. You go out to the fast food restaurants for a while after a bad hurricane and they give you beverages and cans because the water out of the soda machines are contaminated if you will with that awful tree bark tasting tree root tasting water but i did it and a lot of you across the south have had the effect of hurricanes somewhere in your life and you don't have to be along a coast To be a hurricane survivor, there have been plenty of cases where hurricanes have killed lots of people and caused lots of damage well inland, hundreds of miles inland, as you've still got those strong, powerful storms and winds and hurricane force winds turning into tornadic activity and flooding happens, and it's a a big event. That's why I don't get... Excited from a entertainment standpoint when hurricanes arrive, but it is something to kind of keep your eye on. And it's certainly something that you want to keep your thoughts and prayers of anybody anywhere close to the path of where storms will be going through. And it looks like this week, all eyes on the tropics for Tropical Storm Fred as it will likely increase in intensity and have forecasted this at this point winds up to 110 miles per hour, perhaps later in the week as Florida comes into play early on Saturday. We will continue throughout the week to continue to get you posted on what's going on with Fred. Now to some COVID-19 news out of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Nine out of ten unvaccinated Virginians are reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine. That is a new poll that's been released. This poll showing that 90% of unvaccinated Virginians are still reluctant to get the vaccine. This is a poll put out by the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association. And that's a scary thing the vice president of communications with Virginia hospital and health association, Julian Walker put out a statement saying they have concerns that the vaccine could cause other health problems, doubts about the health threat posed by COVID-19 doubts about vaccines in general. Now this hospital commissioned the poll, which surveyed 800 Virginians through the Mason Dixon polling and strategy. And just in this one state Virginia in this case, 9 out of 10 unvaccinated Virginians that responded say they are still reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Many new COVID-19 cases have been among people who are not vaccinated. And in Virginia, while at least 69% of adults there have received at least one dose of the vaccine, health care workers say they're still facing obstacles when it comes to changing that. And those obstacles, including of of the respondents to this poll who are unvaccinated say they're still reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Again, on this show, I'm not telling you one way or the other. I just, I would tell you that's probably, and the key word there is probably smart to go ahead and get the vaccine. What's it going to hurt? But I'm no doctor and I'm not you. And so you have to make those decisions yourself, but, I do know that it looks like most of Virginians have gotten the vaccine, but a large number have not. And it looks like that large number that has not are okay by keeping it that way. The Republican Party of Texas and the leadership of that Republican Party, leaders in the Texas House have signed arrest warrants for 52 Democrats who have blocked voting legislation in a standoff. That standoff has stretched into its 31st day today. It's been a month now since those Texas Democrats in the Texas House got on a plane, took their selfies, and flew on off to Washington, D.C. And we're not sure when or if this effort to vote on voter changes, the way you vote in Texas, is going to happen. We're not sure if they're going to reach a quorum. Now... The latest comes from Texas House Speaker Dade Phelan. This Republican said Democrats could be compelled to return under warrant of arrest if necessary. How that process could work, still unclear at this point, even for the Republicans who have invoked it. Refusing to attend the legislative sessions is a violation of House rules, a civil offense, not a criminal one. But right now, those... Fifty or so Democrats from the Texas House still staying out of the Lone Star State as far as I know. I know they were hanging out in D.C. for quite some time. And they're taking this on now into a second month without showing up. And I guess if they're within the borders of Texas, they've got to report to Austin. And they've got to vote, of which they would fail because they don't have the majority, on the efforts to change some of the voting rules of the Lone Star State, one last story out of Austin, the Governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, is seeking out of state help against covid nineteen Texas, like many southern states having a real battle right now, and Governor Abbott appealed for out of state help to fight the third wave of the coronavirus in the Lone Star State while two more of the state's largest school districts announced mask mandates in defiance of governor Abbott's orders. Now, the governor's request on Monday came as a county-owned hospital in Houston raised tents to accommodate their COVID-19 overflow. Private hospitals in Harris County already were requiring their staff to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. Governor Abbott, a Republican, has directed the Texas Department of State Health Services to use staffing agencies to find additional medical help from beyond the state's borders as the Delta variant begins to overwhelm the present staffing resources in Houston as well as the rest of Texas. Unfortunately, this is a common problem going on across the South. Good news, there are some places who've had real problems in the last two weeks that somehow are continuing to to get by. I was in a hot spot last week just earlier today. And I asked somebody, I said, didn't this, didn't this community get hurt pretty bad? And they essentially kind of acted like I didn't know what I was talking about. But I'm pretty sure I wasn't making that up. And maybe the people did get coronavirus, but perhaps they had been vaccinated and the effects weren't nearly as bad as they could have been. I hope that was the case. If they did get the virus, that it went as hopefully as painless as possible. Y'all talk with a southern accent. That's what we do each and every day here on this program devoted to y'all. We will be right back. We've got a quick look at some southern sports news going on here on this Wednesday. Big news from Baylor University in Waco. Also, we'll tell you some NFL news and notes. That's right ahead. 803-816-1170 is how you can text us. We'll be right back. Back on to the show, covering everything in the South. 803-816-1170 is the way to text us here if you want to be part of y'all. Looking at a quick update on what's going on sports-wise across the Southeast today. Big news out of the Big 12. Big news out of Waco, Texas. More than five years after Baylor fired Art Bryles in response to a horrible review of the university's handling of sexual assault allegations made against students, and that included football players, the NCAA today ruling that Bryles and Baylor University did not violate its rules by their inaction. Based on other violations related to impermissible benefits and improper recruiting practices involving a female hostess group, the NCAA Committee on Infractions placed Baylor on four years probation and imposed other recruiting restrictions against the program. The NCAA did not ban the Bears from playing in the preseason or the postseason, this upcoming season, and didn't take away any scholarships. An unnamed former assistant director of football operations who failed to cooperate in the investigation was given a five year show calls order. So, overall, if you're a Bears fan, out of all the problems Baylor's had off the field for years now, This would be a a win for sure. This is a win for Art Bryles, who I think is in the high school coaching ranks now in the state of Texas and totally out of college and professional football, as far as I am aware of. This perhaps gives him a second opportunity, perhaps a third opportunity to get back into coaching. You cannot deny that Art Bryles, as a coach, despite being fired in May of 2016, was one heck of a coach. Then again, Matt Rule comes into Baylor and in a dumpster fire that was Baylor University, and leads them to the Big Twelve Championship game. Before moving on to the NFL's Carolina Panthers, and now Art Briles and Baylor with a little bit of redemption, perhaps after the NCAA today announcing they will not punish Baylor University for sexual assault allegations. Some college football slash college basketball news. More on the basketball side because they actually play competitive, important basketball at a Yankee school called Valparaiso. Valparaiso announced recently they're dropping their Crusaders moniker. And on Tuesday, Valpo became Valparaiso Beacons. They are the beacons, this Lutheran private school in northern indiana and the nickname directly connects to valparaiso university's motto in thy light we see light the beacons to my knowledge the first school to go by that moniker they dropped the name crusaders by the way after many years of debate that recently intensified because groups such as the Ku Klux Klan began using the words and symbols of the Crusades, which were a series of bloody religious wars started back in the 11th century between Christians and Muslims. I can't imagine in Valparaiso, Indiana or anywhere, the KKK is that out there with crusade symbolism in 2021. And I just can't imagine that they're that important, frankly, but these days, people are constantly looking for anything to change. This week, we saw the University of Wisconsin remove a gigantic rock from its campus because over 100 years ago, one person or one publication 100 years ago called it, called it this rock, like a big old giant stone on the campus. Gave it a, uh, a racist name 100 years ago, and it was reported 100 years ago and hadn't been talked about since and some students at Wisconsin, of all places, decide this week they'd get rid of this rock. And they had to spend, I think, about $40,000 moving a rock, a harmless rock that had some kind of nickname given to it maybe one day 100 years ago. But that's not the way things work these days. It's got to go. It's got to be erased, even if it's a big, gigantic rock. Valparaiso beacons. Put that in your program. And I'm sure the... Bryce Drews of the world, no matter with a name change, are still haunting the Michael Whites and Keith Carters and those other great players of the Ole Miss Rebels basketball team that got defeated by Valpo in those late 1990s classic Bryce Drew jump shot at the buzzer to knock off Ole Miss in the NCAA tournament. One of the most famous shots in NCAA history, by the way, Valpo, with that one. And I think they went on and won the next game. They went to the Sweet 16 back in roughly 1998 when that happened. ESPN has an article up, Position Battles to Watch in Training Camp. Who will win quarterback jobs for the Patriots, Saints, and Broncos? That is the question asked at NFLNation.com. And if we kind of scroll down for the – Patriots. That's one of the teams that has a quarterback battle going on. According to this article, Coach Belichick has said Cam Newton is the starting quarterback, but he has also made it clear that it's a clean slate for everyone and that every player at New England still has to solidify their place on the depth chart. So it seems Mac Jones, the rookie from Alabama, who's been coming on strong, the preseason opener for the Pats will be Thursday against the Washington football team, and you're going to get to see a lot of Mac Jones behind center for the Patriots in that game. Another team with a quarterback question heading into the 2021 season. The Pittsburgh Steelers, not necessarily the starting quarterback, but what about the backup quarterback position? There's a competition right now underway between South Carolina native Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins as they're trying to be the future of this franchise. Ben Roethlisberger, Big Ben, of course, being a guy prone to injury through the years. They need to be ready to go when their number is called. So that is a question heading into training camp for the Steelers of all teams. The Texans. Now, we don't know what in the world is going on with Deshaun Watson. But what about the running back position for the Houston Texans? David Johnson's contract has been restructured, and they also have Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, the former Alabama Heisman Trophy-winning running back. He's on the Texans' roster these days. That's a crowded position there. Also in the AFC South, the Indianapolis Colts with Carson Wentz, not going to be quarterbacking for a little while. You've got two primary candidates in the role of quarterback currently for the Horseshoes, Jacob Eason, the former Georgia quarterback, And Sam Ellinger of Texas. Those young men there with a chance to be quarterbacks for that franchise. Another quarterback going on in the AFC battle is with the Denver Broncos. We still don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback on day one. With Drew Locke, the former Missouri quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, former Louisville Cardinal, Minnesota Viking, New Orleans Saints, and Carolina Panthers quarterback. Now with the horses from Denver. You also have another position of uh, team with a quarterback issue would be from the NFC, if we scoot over to what's going on on that side of the ballgame, the New Orleans Saints. As they've got to replace Drew Brees, you got Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston battling it out. Winston will likely get that, but training camp is where the boys are separated and the men go to the front of the room. Another quarterback issue going on in the NFC, worth, in my opinion, watching, is the Rams. I know Matthew Stafford coming over from the Lions is the supposed surefire guy. But what is the backup situation there in Los Angeles with the Rams? All intriguing, part of the fun. And some of this will be answered now with preseason football games kicking off in earnest just hours away on Thursday and you've got preseason games Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You even have a game Sunday, high noon Eastern 11 Central between the Indianapolis Colts and the Carolina Panthers. That will be on the NFL Network on Sunday. No no Sunday night football, no Monday night football for preseason week number 1. But if you are into NFL, congratulations. You've got actual games to be tuning into although they're kind of uh, honorary games being preseason. But you only have three preseason games this year. It's a 17-game slate for all 32 members of the National Football F- F- Football League. When we come back on Y'all, we will continue talking sports. Today, we're stopping off on our 44-city tour across the southeast. It's Nashville where we'll be headed. And right there on West End is Vanderbilt University. And we're going to talk about the Commodores' 2021 schedule We'll tell you about their brand new coach this year, Clark Lee, a Bandy alum. All that and more as it's Anchor Down, and that's up next.
1: The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather, Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College football tour stop.
0: Here's Johnny. And today, our college football tour stop is in a place I know a whole lot about, and I have been to many an athletic contest while in this city at this specific university. Today, we are at Vanderbilt, as the Commodores are our stop on our 44-city tour across the southeast. Vandy, Vandy, oh hell yeah! And Vanderbilt, of course, the Southeast Conference, the SEC's lone private institution. And they have the 2021 season right around the corner with a brand new coach there at Vandy. It's Clark Lee, a former fullback for the black and gold. We're going to let you know a little bit more about this new coach. We also will be hearing momentarily from one of Clark Lee's great football players, as offensive lineman Bradley Ashmore spoke at the recent SEC media days in Hoover. And we're going to hear from this very talented sophomore out of Neptune Beach, Florida, Bradley Ashmore, coming up in just a handful of minutes. If you've got something to say about Vandy, 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us. As the Commodores get ready for the start of the 2021 season, Clark, Lee, and company will be taking on an in-state foe. That first week, the Bucks out of East Tennessee State and Johnson City, they wind their way from East Tennessee to Middle Tennessee for a game at Vanderbilt Stadium on September 4th. Vandy gets a long road trip week two. They're all the way out at Colorado State for a game against the Rams on September 11th. Then it's back to Nashville, and the Cardinal out of the Pac-12, Stanford and Vanderbilt, Week number three, that a prime time game against Stanford, and that's coming up again September 18th. The SEC opener for the Vanderbilt Commodores will be September 25th when the Georgia Bulldogs, them silver britches, wind their way to Nashville. UConn and out of conference opponent October 2nd, that game set for Nashville. The doors will be back at the Swamp October 9th is the date Vanderbilt and Florida get together at Florida Field. The Doors will be back on the road the following week, too. They'll be at Williams-Brice Stadium to take on the South Carolina Gamecocks on October 16th. It's Nashville welcoming in the Mississippi State Bulldogs as MSU and Mike Leach come in for homecoming. That's October 23rd at Vanderbilt Stadium. Vanderbilt Stadium also hosts Vanderbilt and Missouri. That game set for October 30th. Vandy will be against Kentucky, also at home, November 13th. That's after a weekend off. So they've got, what is that, three straight SEC games at home in 2021. Then it's on the road. They play their traditional rival from the west, the Mississippi Land Sharks. That game set for Vault hemingway Stadium in Oxford on November 20th. Then they wrap up the regular season at Neyland Stadium, Vanderbilt and Tennessee with the volunteer state rivalry, if you will, between Tennessee and Vanderbilt. And it is a rivalry when Vanderbilt beats you three straight years, as they recently did. But that will be Vanderbilt's regular season finale against the Vols to wrap things up. Now, again, Clark Lee is the brand-new coach this year. For several years, Clark Lee had been the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame. This is a guy that grew up in the Nashville area. I think he is from maybe Brentwood, might be his home community in the Nashville area. I think he went to MBA prestigious school right down the road from the Vanderbilt campus. Clark Lee born in 1982. He is 38 years old. He was a fullback back in the Bobby Johnson era at Vanderbilt, 2002 to 2004. And he actually started his collegiate career playing college baseball. He ultimately transferred into Vanderbilt and started playing football. He started his coaching career, Out at UCLA in 2006, he's gone on to be a linebacker coach for a large portion of his career. At Notre Dame, he became defensive coordinator back in 2018, and the Irish had one of the best seasons they've had in modern times last year. And after that fantastic year on the gridiron for the Irish, Clark Lee gets a chance to go back to his alma mater and coach the Vanderbilt Commodores. So we are excited to see this Alumnus. I think he is. I got to think about this for a second because we've had recent coaches who were alums. I think he is the only current SEC coach who played at his coach where he's coaching currently. I think I'm right on that because Barry Odom recently got fired at Mizzou, and he had been a Missouri football player at one time. Matt Luke was the coach at Mississippi, but he got fired prior to last year, and he was a former Rebel offensive lineman. So I, I think I think I'm right on that. Now, of course, we have got 14 members about to have about 16, and I know Texas's coach did not play for the Longhorns, and OU's coach was a Red Raider, Lincoln Riley. So that would still be the case heading into the future of expansion of the SEC. The Commodores are going to be we think a much more improved football team in 2020. Look, the only thing Vanderbilt got in the headlines for in 2020, what well, I don't even want to mention the name, but they had a field goal kicker in a publicity stunt come in and kick a couple of kicks for them. And she got SEC player of the week. And that Nonsense, I think, is what ultimately led Derek Mason to be let go. It was a distraction, an unnecessary distraction. And Vanderbilt, frankly, somebody there woke up and said, "Okay, enough with this. It's time to to have a regime change." And they've done that. And they brought in a Nashvilleian. They they brought in a guy who cares about Vanderbilt University, and he can't hurt anything. Vanderbilt last year, I told somebody. Starting the season, Vanderbilt was going to make SEC history. They were going to be the first team to go 0-10 in the SEC. I was one game off. They were 0-9 as they did not have a 10th game because of COVID. I think their game against Georgia was canceled. So my prognostication of Vanderbilt's tremendous season last year of going winless and being the first 0-10 team – I was almost prophetic in my bold prediction. You know what? I bet a lot of you predicted Vanderbilt to go 0-10. But 0-9 was the way it was. So today, Vanderbilt is looking to right the ship. We're going to hear from Bradley Ashmore more momentarily. He is a big hoss on the offensive line, and it's going to take people like Bradley Ashmore to build back Vanderbilt. I was told by the number one Vanderbilt fan in the world earlier today, their problems are not on offense this year. He's excited about what Vandy can do offensively. I don't know what's going on defensively, but I will tell you when Bradley Ashmore is out there in just a couple of weeks on the gridiron taking on ETSU and other foes on the 2021 schedule, he's going to look really good. In fact, the whole team's going to look really good. Vanderbilt, just Tuesday, unveiled new unis for the 2021 season. So when you go 0-9, you got to have something positive to look for. And I love the fact that these unis are essentially the same uniforms Clark Lee wore when he was a student athlete some 16 years ago with Bobby Johnson. The only big difference, in my opinion, on the new uniforms unveiled Tuesday The helmet does not have the Vanderbilt star logo. It's got the V that's very similar, if not exactly the same, as what the baseball team wears. Just a big V. But it looks a lot like the Vanderbilt teams of old. It looks a lot like the New Orleans Saints, frankly. It's a classic look. And if you're a Vanderbilt fan, you ought to be pretty excited about the Vanderbilt football team, which tweeted out, allow us to reintroduce ourselves, Re- ready for September 4th, anchor down. And they are already ready with these new unis set for 2021. Again, Bradley Ashmore, offensive lineman, the sophomore from Neptune Beach, Florida. He's going to look mighty good, and he's going to look mighty big when he suits up in the black and gold for that game September 4th. He was at SEC Media Days just a few weeks back in Hoover, Alabama. Let's go in and hear from this gigantic offensive lineman talking about the Vanderbilt football team of 2021.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, uh, Coach Lee got here back in January, and uh, we've been putting in a lot of good work since then. So, you know, we're just really excited to uh, put our product on the field. We've been having an awesome uh, offseason, both on the field and the weight room and uh, all aspects of it. So, you know, we're just really excited here getting into fall camp and uh, getting ready for the season. Like I said, when coach got back here and uh, got here in January, you know things have just uh, ramped up, and uh, I don't want to do too much comparison before and after, but we've just been you know putting in a lot of work this off season and uh it's, it's been going really well wow, we're, we're structured our training uh, very tightly, so uh, we uh, developed a lot of, a lot of discipline and uh, just moving uh, forward towards the season, just uh, looking forward to getting into camp here and getting to work. Uh, Our expectations for the offense is to score every time we get the ball, right? So uh, we're going to run an offense. We're trying to score points. We're trying to move the ball down the field. So no matter the outcome, we're trying to put points on the board every time we touch the ball. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's tough. Like you said, SEC is, is uh, you know, where it's at. So every week is good competition. Every week is amazing talent. And I have the utmost respect for every opponent I go against. So uh, like you said, it's, it's a grind week in and week out, but we trust our preparation of uh, the work we put in this offseason uh, to do what uh, we need to do come the season. Tennessee, being a football state, uh, I think we can agree on that. Um, and being in a big city like Nashville, it's, it's a lot. You can't walk around a corner without seeing someone that uh, is wearing uh, some sort of team shirt. So, you know, it's always on everybody's mind. It's most definitely always on our minds. So uh, just ready, ready to get back on the field have some fun when I committed to Vanderbilt, it was, uh, it was very early. And, um, one of the things I was really bigly focused on, um, was family. I have, I have a lot of family in Nashville. My uh, mother's entire side of the family is from Nashville. So I wanted to be close to them and, uh, in a, in a city where I felt at home. But then I also saw an opportunity to come play for a group of guys that I had, uh, got to know a little bit before I committed. And, uh, Just saw a really good group of guys in the locker room and a really awesome coaching staff and a really great place to play football and a great place to win some games.
0: All right, that, again, taking you back a few weeks to SEC media days, and that was the very gigantic offensive lineman for the Doors. That was Bradley Ashmore. His official measurements, according to VUcommodores.com, the sophomore listed at 6'6", six six, 290 pounds, and a lot of that is not necessarily fat. It's it's all muscle. He played in all nine games that Vanderbilt played in 2020, started five of those. He got his first career start against the Mississippi Land Sharks. started four games at right tackle. Games against Mississippi State, Kentucky, Florida, and Tennessee are the games he started at right tackle tackle and he is part of the reason Ken Seals the quarterback last year and the quarterback this year for Vanderbilt set the Vanderbilt freshman record with 1,928 passing yards and with all of those great honors for Bradley Ashmore he was also a first year SEC academic honor roll member. A tremendous first year, and now he's a sophomore. Number 70, right there on the O-line for Vanderbilt football 2021, Bradley Ashmore. And as we mentioned, the quarterback this year, Ken Seals, the Weatherford High School from Azell, Texas, sophomore. What a job he did last year. and a embattled season that it was, he played – In the nine games, he started all nine games for the previous Derek Mason regime. Seals, the third SEC true freshman quarterback to start a season opener since 1972. He averaged 214 passing yards a game. He had 12 touchdowns against 10 interceptions. He tied for third in Vanderbilt history for 300-yard passing games. He had three of them. Among true freshmen nationally, second in passing yards, second in completion, second in attempts, second in completion percentage, third in passing touchdowns, and third in pass efficiency. What a tremendous year Ken Seals had this three-star prospect from ESPN and Rivals coming out of high school in Texas. He was a 2019 Mr. Texas football semifinalist. And you know what? Kenneth Austin Seals – you did one heck of a job in your first year at Vanderbilt Stadium. And now the 6 foot 3, 220 town QB poised for a much better year. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and make a bold statement about Vanderbilt football 2021. I think they're their records going to improve and they're going to actually win a game. I think they're going to win several games. I like what Clark Lee is doing. And I think Vanderbilt is poised to get back to a bowl game. Could be this year. I mean, if you look at the schedule, ETSU should be a win. Colorado State, I'm going to say that's a 50-50 win. So let's go ahead and say it is a win. That's two wins. They got Stanford at home. We'll go ahead and chalk that up as a loss. They got Georgia. That's a loss. That's two and two. They can beat UConn the next game. That's three and two. Likely not going to win at Florida. So that's three and three at South Carolina. That that's a winnable game. 4 and 3. They've got MSU coming to Nashville. That could be a win. We'll, we'll be generous and say yes, 5. Missouri, we'll go ahead and say that's a loss, 5 and 4. They got Kentucky coming into town. That's probably going to be a loss. 5 5 and 5 would be the record at that point. Then they wrap up against Mississippi and Tennessee both on the road. That's going to be a tough ask. But we're going to give it to them. They're going to beat Tennessee, Well, I'll just say it. They'll beat Tennessee on November 27th. And Vanderbilt will go back to a bowl game. Totally unscientific, but that is just a wild guess of how the 2021 season for Vanderbilt just might play out. Hope you had fun learning about Vanderbilt in hour number three. We will tell you about some of the famous alumni. We'll tell you about the founding of Vanderbilt. How in the world did they get that fancy name, Vanderbilt University? I'll tell you. Plus, some of the great traditions you'll find on a Vanderbilt football game day. Up next on the Y'all Show, we've got a Southern accent from Melissa Rhodes. That'll close out our One.
3: Southern accent.
2: Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. Sorry, kids of the South, it's back-to-school time. And the witty minds of It's a Southern Thing on YouTube have broken down the different types of back-to-school mamas, starting with the first-timer.
3: Bye, sweetie. You're going to have such a great first day. You're going to make so many new friends. (laughs) We were so small. It's only 8.30.
4: (laughs) The Planner. Two three-packs of paper towels, four containers of Clorox wipes, a dozen dry erase markers. All that was on the list? If the teachers want it, they get it. They're taking our kids. And The Veteran. A new
3: three-ring binder. Your brother's from last year is just fine. Look, one, two, three rings.
2: You're good to go. Back to school fashion alert. Vibes, vintage clothing styles from the 1990s are the hottest trend right now. Parents everywhere are probably cringing at the mom shorts, baggy jeans, etc. But the kids are digging it. Southern history,
1: fun and
0: more at y'all.com. And I appreciate you sharing that with us, Melissa. That will wrap up our first hour of our conversation about the Southeast. Stay tuned. Hour number two. We've got business news from across Dixie that we'll be sharing with you. Plus, from CBS Sports, an article up, the top college football team in each state. That plus a look at the best-selling books. That's ahead on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. We'll be right back. John Rawl is my name, and this is the show that covers everything going on across the Southeast today. I am the host of this, the Y'all Show, and we are glad that you could take a little time out of your busy day to join us for what's going on across the South. Coming up in this second hour of Y'all, we have a look at more of the headlines of the region. Plus, from CBSSports.com, they've got an article up that we're going to have a fun time reading through and sharing with you. The top college football team in each state. Go ahead and get your favorite school colors on and tell me if your team is numero uno within the borders of your state. We'll have that coming up in just a few. Also this hour, we're going to tell you why there's a global computer chip shortage and how that is affecting perhaps car purchases. You can't hardly find brand new cars because they're not being made they're being made, they just don't have the computer chips put in them because they don't have them. And I'll let you know all about that here this hour as part of our Southern Business Report. Also, before we get out of here this hour, too, I'll share with you some of the top new reads. We'll look at the New York Times bestsellers. John Grisham has a new book available for all y'all. That's coming up here, hour two. Reminder, hour three, we got more on the Vanderbilt Commodores and more headlines coming up in hour number three. If you want to be part of the show all about the South, all you got to do is pick up that telephone and text us, 803-816-1170. Would love to hear from you, love to get your thoughts, 803-816-1170. Podcast form, we're out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app. Check it out. It's the show about the South. We shake the We just shake the Southland each and every day, three hours of conversation about the southeast. and we thank you so much for being a part of the show, driven by y'all A reminder here, as we begin this second hour of our headlines, that many people's eyes are currently focused on the tropics. We have a tropical storm that has formed, and we're keeping an eye on it right now. It's tropical storm Fred. And the forecasters from the National Oceanic Atmospheric Association and the National Hurricane Center forecasters say tropical storm Fred's path put it puts most of Florida in play and most of the states of Alabama and Georgia are also in the cone of uncertainty that has been released. As this thing projected to be a player in the southeast starting overnight Friday night into Saturday morning, working into early next week, it'll be hitting portions of the southeast. Today, Tropical Storm Fred moved into the Dominican Republic, and the long-range path for Fred has those in the U.S. southeast paying close attention, as we are doing right now on the Y'all Show. The National Hurricane Center's forecast shows that the sixth named storm of 2021, Fred, crosses the Gulf of Mexico this weekend and possibly makes landfall as a tropical storm. That's, again, the forecast coming in from the National Hurricane Center today. It's expected to hit Florida this weekend, and it could hit the Florida panhandle Monday morning. Forecasters are cautioning that Fred's long-range track is still uncertain. Areas from the Mississippi and Alabama coast to the Florida peninsula should remain on alert for several days. Just keep an eye open on Fred. It doesn't appear that it, at least now, according to the experts, is going to churn up into a very powerful Category 3, 4, or 5 hurricane. As of now, predicted to be, A tropical storm at most. And I'm not trying to outdo you on the meteorological forecasting. But maybe the reason it's still projected to be a tropical storm is that it has, according to the forecast, the models, it's taking more of a Gulf Coast aim instead of an Atlantic Coast aim. And if you know anything about the waters, it's that warm Gulf Stream waters along the Atlantic side of Florida that would make that storm crank up even higher with the wind speed as it would be fueled by that warm water coming off the Gulf Stream if it were to track eastward of Florida. And then it would be real powerful heading into the Carolinas and perhaps on up into New England if it were to go that far north. But as of today, this tropical storm making news, Fred, the sixth name storm already of 2021. A Florida man is wanted in a car theft, and he is wanted, and he tries hiding from a canine, a law enforcement canine from the Hernando County, Florida Sheriff's Office. He tried to hide from the dog under a mattress, and then he got bit on the face. Well, what do you expect there? The dog justice, I think, the jaws of justice got a hold of this idiot in Florida. You you can't outrun a canine. And this wanted man, despite trying to hide underneath a mattress, got caught trying to steal a car. And deputies in Hernando County, Florida, found the 59-year-old man, Michael Lewis, And the dog bit Mr. Lewis, and he had to get assistance as a result. The canine named Justice and its handler, Corporal Steve Miller, arrived at the residence of where the man was hiding. The dog was announced that he was there before Justice went in and found Lewis. And golly, I'm looking at the photo. Justice used his jaws of Justice pretty good on this guy and he got a nice little bite around his eyeball. (laughs) Upon reaching a bedroom, authority said Miller again announced the presence of the dog, but received no response. Justice entered the bedroom and began circling the bed in an excited manner. When Miller lifted the mattress, Justice stuck his head under it, and a man screamed. Justice had first bitten Lewis's face and then had his arm right between his jaws, according to deputies. The man was charged with grand theft of motor vehicle and resisting without violence, currently being held on a $3,500 bond at the Hernando County Detention Center. Now, stories about dogs apprehending bad people, that's a common everyday story, but not often do we get the headshot of the guy with blood flowing down his face, as we do here in this case of the 59-year-old Michael Lewis who's got one little scar to show going forward after refusing to announce that he was hiding underneath the daggum mattress. And Justice, the canine from Hernando County in Florida, took a bite out of crime. And boy, what a good bite it was. Good boy there, Justice. Good boy. Video of a man giving a tattoo in a McDonald's in South Carolina has led to an arrest. A Lawrence, South Carolina person, Brandon... Precia has been charged with one count of illegal tattooing and one count of underage tattooing. Those carry a combined $25,000 bond. According to the Lawrence County, South Carolina police department. Presha is not a licensed tattoo artist. And he was caught on video inside this Lawrence McDonald's giving somebody a tattoo. (laughs) What an idiot. The video shows a man, who police identified as Presho, wearing gloves and using a tattoo pen to administer the ink to a minor's left wrist or forearm. The South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control, DHEC, were referred to the case and put out a statement. Their statement includes, to ensure the health, safety, and welfare of the public, DHEC does ensure complaints about unlicensed tattoo facilities are sent to local law enforcement for action as deemed necessary a person who violates the south carolina tattooing law is guilty of a misdemeanor and upon conviction must be fined up to 2500 or in prison up to one year or both DHEC has been in contact with the lawrence law enforcement group about this Now, the local franchisee of McDonald's put out a statement, and I'm glad they did. Uh, In our restaurants, nothing is more important to us than the safety and well-being of our customers and employees. The conduct reported is not in line with the values of our organizations or in line with our expectations for how restaurants should run. We are investigating the incident and will take appropriate action to ensure that my restaurant is both a safe place for my employees to work and for my customers to enjoy. That from McDonald's franchisee Mason, talking. I don't know his last name, but he put out that statement. Mason, you might want to teach your employees there at your McDonald's and Lawrence, South Carolina, that if you see somebody out there, which kudos to them for maybe even being open. A lot of McDonald's are still closed and won't let you go in there and enjoy a Big Mac and that delicious Large Coke and that big, gigantic French fry. They're still closed. But if you're going to be open in Lawrence with the McDonald's there, you might want to pay attention to your lobby and make sure people aren't out there offering tattoos and filming it, for goodness sakes. Filming a tattoo in a McDonald's restaurant will only get you critique and criticism (laughs) <laughs> on this The Y'all Show, and that's what we're doing here. We're calling them out. Maybe they got, while they're at McDonald's, a nice tattoo of the McDonald's arches. That would be a fitting tattoo for a story like that. When The Y'all Show comes back, we will have a article courtesy of CBS Sports. It is the top college football team in each state. Is your team that lucky team in the state? We'll let you know that, plus later this hour, all about why we have a shortage of computer chips all ahead on the show all about Dixie.
3: Fresh cut grass I'm back in my helmet, cleats and shoulder pads Standing in the huddle Listening to the call Fans going crazy for the boys to fall They didn't let just anybody in that club Took every ounce of heart and sweat and blood To get the way those game day jerseys down the hall the Kings of the school, man, where the boys are fall Well, let's turn and face the stars and stripes It's fighting back them butterflies It's calling in it Ball. And it's knocking heads and talking trash. It's slinging mud and dirt grasses. grass. It's I've got your number. i got your back. When your bat's against the wall, you mess with one man.
0: you got a song. The boys are fall. There's an ETSU buck. Kenny Chesney getting you ready for the Boys of Fall. Y'all, we're just days away from the Boys of Fall doing their thing. They're already in camp. College football is here. NFL football, preseason week one, big time underway Thursday. Just hours away. But right now on the Y'all Show, courtesy of CBSSports.com, We're going to keep talking about a little college football, if you don't mind. Is that okay? Barrett Salee, he does a fantastic job at CBSSports.com. He and Ben Kirkville have penned an article picking the best college football team in each state entering the 2021 season. These two fellows have gone through the alphabet, not from A to Z, but from A to W, as they've gone from Alabama to Wyoming. Remember, Some of the states out there don't even have a college football team that play, at least at the FBS level. And Barrett and Ben, the two Bs, with a very informative article about college football. And, again, the best college football team, not in history. We're talking entering this 2021 season. As Division I programs from the FBS and FCS cover – 48 of 50 states. Can you name the two states in the good old U.S. of A. that don't have either an FBS or FCS team in their state? 8038161170 I'm not going to give you enough time. Alaska and Vermont are the two states without a FBS or FCS team playing there. And I know Vermont just Missed out on Dartmouth. Dartmouth is actually in New Hampshire, but you could look across the parking lot there and see the state of Vermont from the Dartmouth campus. Of course, they're an Ivy League school, but they're still an FCS member. And I know Norwich, which is in Vermont, they aren't Division One, And I guess the Vermont Catamounts, Must play Division II, I reckon. I reckon. Come on. What's going on in Vermont and Alaska? Let's get you some really good football. Okay, looking at this article again of the best college football team within each state entering the 2021 season. We'll start off with, in alphabetical order, the southern states. And Barrett and Ben have, for Alabama, oh, what a bold pick, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Your defending national champion are the best team in Alabama, according to this article. Up next, Arkansas. The winner there, it's not the Red Wolves, it's the Woo Pigs, as Sam Pittman's Razorbacks are the top football program in the natural state. No surprise. Moving on to Florida. Now, this could get interesting. According to these guys, the best college football team in the Sunshine State getting you ready for the start of 2021, even though Kyle Trask has moved on to the Buccaneers, it's the Florida Gators. The Gators have been to three straight New Year's Six Bowl games. They won the SEC East in 2020, put up a pretty good fight in the SEC championship game. So they're the best team in Florida, and there's at least a top 20 team outside of the Gators. The Miami Hurricanes are a top 20 team, but the the Hurricanes are not the best team, according to CBSSports.com. And remember, Mike Norvell's got a rebuild going on in Tallahassee. You've got USF with a rebuild there. UCF's got a new coach after Heupel left there to go to Tennessee. And FAU, FIU, still trying to to get into relevance category. The best team in Florida, according to cbssports.com, entering 2021. Chomp, chomp, the Gators. For Georgia, no surprise, the best football team in the Empire State of the South. You hairy dogs, the Georgia Bulldogs, Kirby Smart. He's got a extremely good program he's built there in about four years, although they didn't make it to Atlanta in 2020. They might have gone to Atlanta to fly out to some other bowl game. They didn't make it there for the – well, actually, they, my apologies, Georgia. You did make it to Atlanta. You went there for the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, and you beat a very good Cincinnati team, but you just didn't make it to – Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the SEC Championship in 2020. But what a great game Georgia had in that bowl game with JT Daniels, the quarterback, and they got a nice win over the darling of the bracket busters, if you will, for 2020, as Cincinnati was the lone group of five school that made it into a New Year's Six game in 2020. And Georgia just eked out a win on the friendly turf of Atlanta's Mercedes-Benz Stadium for that Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl game. Georgia this year is the best team in the state of Georgia. And when you look around at the other teams in the state of Georgia, in my opinion, this is a do-or-die year for Jeff Collins. The Georgia Tech football coach enters this year his third season. He's had just a little bit of improvement from year one to year two. I'm afraid Georgia Tech might be going in reverse. The Ramblin' Wreck could be out of gear and headed down a cliff this year if he doesn't get that Model A going in the right direction. The Jackets need a big year. Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern should be a lot better than they are. Now, I was just at a Braves game the Sunday before last in Atlanta and it was Georgia Southern Day and there were a lot of Eagle fans at Truist Park and they did that whole Georgia Southern GTAA thing and they're loud but Georgia Southern fans you're going to have to step up and knock off teams like Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State. Georgia Southern has not exactly turned head since entering FBS football. They've got a lot of improvement there in Statesboro before they start getting the attention that they thought they would get as they joined the Sun Belt Conference. In fact, as I told you on Tuesday's y'all show, there are two Sun Belt teams currently in the preseason coaches poll. Coastal Carolina and Louisiana Lafayette are two of your top 25 teams in the entire country according to the coaches. And the preseason poll, Georgia Southern's not one of those teams. They want to have improvement. Georgia State, Sean Elliott, he's done a, a nice job there, to his credit, with the Panthers. Yeah, I know they beat Tennessee the other year, but he's got a, a much-improved program playing right there in downtown Atlanta, but they're still not where they need to be. So that's a look at Georgia. Right now the Bulldogs – are your top team in the Peach State, a.k.a. Empire State of the South. To the state of Kentucky, another SEC team atop a state here that has multiple schools or at least multiple conferences represented, the Kentucky Wildcats and Mark Stoops. They've won two straight Governor's Cups over their rival Louisville. And three of the last four over the U of L. Now Scott Satterfield, the third-year U of L. coach, he is working hard to get this program back to some of those Patrino years, and maybe even that Charlie Strong year that they went to the Sugar Bowl. But right now, Cardinals fans still have to kind of think that this is a rebuild. The Scott Satterfield experiments continuing, and to coach Stoops and to U K. they've stuck by their man just like Tammy Wynette. And for that reason, Kentucky is the expected best team in the Bluegrass. Now, Kentucky also has Western Kentucky playing at the FBS level. From an FCS standpoint, I know the Colonels of Eastern Kentucky, they're shifting conferences this year. They're moving to the Atlantic Sun Conference, moving out of the OVC. And let's not forget about Murray State, a program that has competed here this year for a conference championship in the OVC. They lost their opportunity to Jacksonville State, the Gamecocks, just like Eastern Kentucky, moving this year to the Atlantic 10 alongside UNA and UCA. But when it comes to the Bluegrass, it's Kroger Field where you're going to have the best team in Kentucky represented, U.K., to the state of Louisiana in the South. Again, we're referencing an article up at CBSSports.com. Ben Kirkville and Barrett Salee with this article. College football's focus on picking the best college football team in each state entering the 2021 season. In the Pelican state, it's LSU. Now, LSU in 2020 had that 5 and 5 season. They barely got to that fifth win, they got that final home game against Mississippi with a very good kind of comeback win at home to get to 500. They would have gone to a bowl game, but they chose not to for issues off the field. And then I would say issues off the field continued all throughout the postseason, real issues. Yours truly really questioned whether Ed Orgeron was even going to be coaching this team starting the first game of the season because of the – fallout, if you will, coming from all the nonsense that went on years ago, even under Les Miles at LSU. And that's why Les Miles is no longer coaching the Kansas Jayhawks. But LSU is expected to be the top program in Louisiana, but they got competition. And it's not from Tulane. Tulane has turned their program around to the credit of Greenway fans. It's the Raging Cajuns. Raging Cajuns are in the preseason top 25, the coaches' preseason top 25. And Billy Napier, who likely could have gone to a much bigger school in the offseason, has stuck around the bayou of Lafayette and watch for the Raging Cajuns to get even better this year. So Ed Orgeron's got some competition, even from a lowly sunbelt school, if you're an SEC fan, and also don't want to leave out some of the good FCS programs within that state, including McNeese State, which has had, I don't know if he's still eligible in playing, but Ed Orgeron's son has been the quarterback of the McNeese Cowboys. I don't think Ed would get too mad if McNeese was the top program in Louisiana, but you know if that were the case, even though it was his son being the quarterback of the Cowboys, I bet that would probably lead to Big Daddy Ed maybe getting shown the door if his son's team had more Notoriety than his own team out of the state of Maryland in the south, one of our border states, the best team in the state of Maryland it's a team we've already featured on our 44 city tour across the southeast it's not the Terrapins it's not Towson it's not who else is in Maryland that plays college football Well I know one team that's in Maryland plays college football because they're the number one team according to com, it's the Navy Midshipmen. Anchors away, all you Navy fans, as the Midshipmen. I saw their team having fun at the Liberty Bowl just the other year. 11 wins in 2019. Now, last year it was not that great of a season. But you compare that to what else is happening in Maryland as a state and right there in Annapolis, the Midshipmen do have the best program. And for that, I just give you one key word for their success. Let's all say it together, everybody. It's the N-word. You ready? Nia (laughs) Matalolo. That would be Ken Nia Matalolo, the head coach of Navy. And, man, he has done a fantastic word. He's done a fantastic job taking over after Paul Johnson left Annapolis to go be the head coach at Georgia Tech. And all these years later, the native Hawaiian and former Hawaii football player has found a home. He has been a staff member on the USNA campus for over 20 years now, I think. So way to go, Ken Niamatololo and all you middies out there. Moving along on our journey across the South, next up on our tour, according to CBSSports.com of Picking the best college football team in each respective state. We're looking only at the 16 Southern states, by the way, for the Magnolia state for the hospitality state in Mississippi, according to Ben Kirkville and Barrett Lee writers of this piece, the best team in Mississippi is the flagship university located in university, Mississippi. It's, The Mississippi Land Sharks, a.k.a. University of Mississippi. Yeah, you got three FBS programs located within Mississippi. The Sharks, the Bullies of Starkville, and the Golden Eagles of Hattiesburg. But right now, I thought when Mike Leach was hired, he was going to take Mississippi State to levels even better than Dan Mullen. And... He's done okay, but he's actually been passed by Lane Kiffin. It's been a great hire. And to the athletic director in Oxford, Keith Carter, he made a bold decision. He let go of Matt Luca, a, a old Miss guy, a beloved guy from a beloved family that have a long history on the Oxford campus. And a guy who was in some ways in a no-win position coming in after – Hugh Freeze was let go in the middle of the night. But he wasn't getting it done. Lane Kiffin comes in, and technically he didn't get it done from a wins and losses standpoint. They finished last year 5-5, five and five, I think was the final record. They won their bowl game, which was a surprise. They went to the Outback Bowl, and they defeated a very good Indiana Hoosier team in Tampa. But Lane Kiffin, what he's done is he he's just – made a program that was absolutely in shock. A program in a school that has been forgotten about in some ways. A program that if you're an alumnus of the University of Mississippi, of which I am, you have to sit there and think, God, I just don't, it's just not the same anymore, y'all. I don't want to go down to the Grove and hang out and see all of the self-inflicted turmoil that happens not just on the athletic field, but but within the administration. I mean, this is a a school that has shot itself in the foot for a lot of crazy reasons over the last few years. And people like me are disgruntled. And I'm not trying to buy season tickets. I don't have a desire to go. And maybe you're in the same boat. But what Lane Kiffin did, he brought in his, I guess, California-bred flair and style and his clipboard-throwing attitude, and he made football fun again for a lot of people. Not me, but for a lot of people. And that's the reason today we're sitting here telling you that the University of Mississippi is your top school, according to cbssports.com, entering the 2021 season. They have the ability to be not the maybe the top pick in the SEC West But they could easily be giving Texas A&M a run for the money in terms of who's going to be in that kind of catbird seat chasing Alabama for a chance to go to Atlanta. And they are going to do it in part due to not only Lane Kiffin but quarterback Matt Corral and some of the great players returning. And why do I think Mississippi fans have a little bit more attitude and a little bit more – things to crow about to get their shark fins out about well they right now hold that egg trophy high egg bowl trophy high in oxford they beat mississippi state in 2020 and that is part of the reason that i think right now lane kiffin's got a little bit better program going than the folks down in cal college town to the show me state mizzou and the best team in Missouri, show me Mizzou. I know the Red Hawks of SEMO did pretty well in the spring season, the abbreviated season we had earlier the season. They play in the OVC. And did you realize that a blast from the SEC past is the head coach of the Missouri State Bears? And that would be the aforementioned Bobby Petrino. He's coaching S. Well, it used to be SMS, Southwest Missouri State. Now it's just the Missouri State Bears. And he's coaching them, and and they did pretty good last year. I think they made it to the playoffs, I think. And that was actually this year. It was in the spring when FCS football had its season. They play in the Missouri Valley Conference conference alongside teams like North Dakota State. So it's a a tough grind for Bobby Petrina. But in the state of Missouri, the Tigers – and Eli Drinkwitz are your top team. The Tigers have two SEC East Crowns in the 10 years they've been in the conference, and they haven't finished below 500 since 2016. Got a lot of work to do, but they are the best program, according to CBSSports.com, in the borders of Mizzou, in the borders of Missouri. I better clear that up for all the Bears and Redhawks fans out there. Up next from the south, according to the CBS Sports article of the best college football team in each southern state, North Carolina, the top school there is, according to this article, Mack Brown's North Carolina Tar Heels. Now, last year, it was the Appalachian State Mountaineers that had that title. But after UNC went 8-3, and three, went to the Orange Bowl, put up a pretty good fight against Texas A&M, Sam Howell, is their very heralded quarterback that's likely to go in the first round of the NFL draft. And after the excitement of 2020, you could see where North Carolina football and Mac Brown are, they're rolling. They are rolling. Coupled with the fact that Wake Forest seems to keep stepping on its angry preacher foot, the Wolfpack and Dave Doran just can't get above nine or 10 wins for some reason. And, it's North Carolina that seems to have the upper hand in the state of North Carolina right now. ECU, Mike Houston, his program out of the AAC, really has struggled. He's got kind of a do-or-die year for the Pirates this year. So all hands pointing toward Chapel Hill, and the baby blue of UNC is the best team in that state. And the state of Oklahoma, shouldn't be any surprise. The soon-to-be SEC Sooners, have won the last six Big 12 titles and are likely going to win a seventh straight in 2021. They are great. Oklahoma State, Pistol Pete, his shooter just six-shooter just keeps shooting himself, and they just can't get out of Oklahoma's shadow. Tulsa is still floundering around. They, they do have a couple of good upsets every now and then, the Golden Hurricane. But it's Oklahoma, the best team in the state of Oklahoma. Up next is the state of South Carolina and Clemson, by far the best team in the state of South Carolina. But, you know, who's the second best team? It's probably not the Gamecocks. It's probably the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. My goodness, they're in the top 25 of the coaches poll. They're very good. And then if you break it down to, Other teams in the Palmetto State, some of the FCS teams, you got four FCS teams that play in the Palmetto State, Furman, Walford, the Citadel, and South Carolina State. And I would have to give right now the upper hand to the Furman Paladins as the best small school in the state of South Carolina, although the Citadel should be a much improved team this year. And Walford, I was just on the Walford campus the other day there's no excuse for Walford, the Terriers, to not be very good. That's where the Carolina Panthers have had their fall camp for tw- over two decades now. They got amazing facilities there at Walford College in Spartanburg, South Carolina. But Clemson, by far, they got great facilities, they got great fans, and they've got a great program. Dabo, Sweeney, and company, even though he's got a new quarterback under center this year, look for the Tigers to be in the mix for a national championship again. Up next is the Volunteer State, and according to CBSSports.com, the best college football program in the Volunteer State. Does that team reside in East Tennessee? Does that team reside in Middle Tennessee, or is it a West Tennessee type of college football team that is the best football team in Tennessee, according to cbssports.com. Anybody want to take a guess? According to Barrett Salee, cbssports.com, your top football program in the state of Tennessee, it's the Memphis Tigers. And even though Tennessee has four FBS teams, Tennessee, Memphis, MTSU, and the Vanderbilt Commodores, of the four FBS teams, it's those Tigers, the blue and gray, and Ryan Silverfield are the best team according to CBSSports.com. Now, in 2020, I didn't think Memphis was all that great. Boy, they were good before that, so much so that Mike Norvell got hired at Florida State. It's partly, in fact, that part, part of the reason is the regime change in Knoxville doesn't help Tennessee out in this case. You've had a regime change in Nashville with Vandy. So right now, Memphis, take great pride. Your Tigers are the best team in the state of Tennessee. Maybe even the best team in a couple of surrounding states, frankly. Go Tigers, go. The best team in the state of Texas. Gig'em. It's Texas A&M, according to CBSSports.com. The Aggies are coming off their best season since 2012 when they won 11 games and that was the year their first year in the SEC that Johnny Manziel got the Heisman trophy. What a fantastic year it was for A&M in 2020 and I think expectations are out of the roof there in Aggieland. Look for the Aggies to have a fantastic year and that's the reason A&M has beat out the Longhorns, the Ponies in Dallas, the Froggies in Fort Worth, the Baptist Bears in Waco and more. <laughs> Aggies, congratulations. According to CBSSports.com, you have the best college football team in the Lone Star State. All right, two more states left. The best school in the state of Virginia, according to CBSSports.com, those Hokies, as Coach Fuente's Gobblers, are expected to be the best team in that state. I know Bronco Menenhall. He led a Virginia team to the ACC championship game a few years ago, but Virginia Tech continues to do good against their rival from within the state. The Hokies have won 20 of the last 22 matchups against UVA. So you don't necessarily get to be the best team in the state when you can't beat your rival. And Virginia Tech, the best team in Virginia, according to Sports.com. And lastly, from the south, the best team in West Virginia. There's really only two teams to choose from. That would be the Thundering Herd or the WVU Mountaineers. And according to CBSSports.com, the best team in the Mountain State. It's Neil Brown's West Virginia Mountaineers. They had a three-game losing skid to end 2020, and I think that cost them a bowl game. But under the rebuild under Coach Neil Brown, the former Kentucky, and UMass UMass, uh, football player, Look for them to be a little bit better. And look for West Virginia to continue to be the best team in the Mountain State in 2021. So there you have it. Again, this article is up at cbssports.com. It's a lot of fun to go through and look at them. And not only in the South will you discover these predicted teams of who's going to be the best in each state of our 16 southern states. But congratulations to schools like Montana State, the Bobcats, the best in that state the best football team in the state of New York. It's those Black Knights of Army. How about the Black Bears of Maine, the best college football team in that state, according to CBSSports.com. And you're going to have to go on and see who's the best college football team in Illinois, for example. All that is available at CBSSports.com. Check it out. Great job, great idea. And it's been a fun, fun journey here the last 20 minutes or so telling you about all this at CBSSports.com. When the Y'all Show comes back, we've got the Southern Business Report. And included to that, how in the world did we have a computer chip shortage happen across the entire globe? I'll have the answer right after this. This is the Y'all Show. That's a catchy little summertime song from Alabama. We're back on y'all. Just a few minutes left here in hour number two. This is the show covering everything Southern with John Rawl, your gracious host. And here on y'all, we're going to wrap up this second hour with a few notes on Southern business and Southern books. And in this segment, we're going to talk a little Southern business, if you don't mind. A big win in Washington this week with the $1 trillion infrastructure bill, passing the senate at least and this comes after weeks of all kinds of movement to make it pass to stall it and more and now the senate approving a one trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure plan and if you've gone in and looked at what this thing is going to ultimately do assuming the house agrees and joe biden signs it into office a lot of changes a lot of upgrades with the infrastructure and more And some of the people voting for this are eager to send billions of dollars back to their respective states to help rebuild roads, to expand broadband internet, fix water pipes, and help public work systems that are so important right now. And it's a huge win, if you want to call it that, for Joe Biden because it's it's something he can go out and tout as a success. The Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act started with a group of 10 senators who seized on Biden's campaign promise to draft a scaled-down version of the initial 2.3 trillion dollar proposal and that thing went forward on Tuesday. Now, to Tennessee and the Nissan plant in Smyrna, Tennessee is going to close for 2 weeks starting on Monday. The reason? The Nissan Smyrna plant closing. They ain't got no chips. There is a worldwide computer chip shortage brought on by the coronavirus outbreak in Malaysia. This latest shutdown is among the longest at any U.S. auto plant of the size. And Nissan said this week that it ran short of chips due to this outbreak at this Malaysian factory. It expects production to resume in Smyrna, that's southeast of Nashville, just off of Interstate 24, headed toward Chattanooga, toward Murfreesboro hoping to resume August 30th. This is a factory in Smyrna, Tennessee, that has 6,700 people employed there. It's a 6 million square foot factory. I think it's the old Air Force Base or Army Air Force Base is right where it's located in Smyrna. And again, it is being shut down temporarily because of a shortage of computer chips. I was at a Chevrolet dealership the other day, and I asked a representative of GMC about this computer chip shortage. What is going on? And she did a good job of explaining to me. But actually, I need somebody better than me to explain it to y'all. So what I found is a clip from CNBC's Jordan Smith. And he's got a video out talking about how the global computer chip shortage happened. It's affecting car sales. It's affecting Video games, it's got a trickle-down effect all over the world right now. And in this case, we're telling you about a factory shutting down for two weeks with 6,700 employees. So to help explain what is going on, what do we got going on here, y'all? Again, let's go to CNBC's Jordan Smith for this video up called How the Global Computer Chip Shortage Happened. So how
4: did this all start? Well, COVID-19. The coronavirus pandemic forced people to work from home, to go to school from home, to just basically do everything from home. People upgraded their computers, they got smart speakers, tricked out their home theaters, and played a lot of video games. Businesses scrambled to set up remote work systems and needed more cloud infrastructure. So what became very clear is that if, uh, electronics companies, you know, just dis- there was a supply chain disruption. But once that kind of started working its way through in the summer and China started getting back to work, electronics companies needed knew that they needed to increase production by a lot. There's no sign that the demand is slowing for semiconductors. Global semiconductor sales totaled $439 billion in 2020, and that's an increase of 6.5% compared to the 2019 total of $412.3 billion, according to the Semiconductor Industry Association. Global sales for the month of December 2020 were $39.2 billion, an increase of 8.3% compared to the December 2019 total. Another big reason for the shortage? Cars are getting more advanced, and they need more semiconductors. In fact, right now, it's the auto industry that's feeling the squeeze in computer chips most acutely. Cars not only need advanced chips to run increasingly complicated in-vehicle computer systems, they also need older, less advanced semiconductors for things like power steering. The auto shortages are happening because the auto OEMs canceled all their orders in the midst of COVID last year, and it just takes the supply chains um, a a while to adjust. Uh, We've had some, some whipsaws. So that would be happening is it's not really the semi guy's fault. It's the auto supply chain. But to the extent that the shortages themselves are sort of focusing attention and jumpstarting the debate on what we should be doing in terms of semiconductor manufacturing in in the US, I think that actually is where the discussion can be useful. Analysts expect the chip shortage to persist well into 2021. We are in a real difficult situation. Of course, we've heard from the likes of AMD's like Lisa Su and others about uh, the expectation of this lasting about six months. So 100 days, if if her interpretation is right, is going to put us nearly all the way out, well over halfway into that six month period. And I really do wonder, are we able to shorten this delay at all with any action that could be taken right now? I think the Biden administration really needs to focus on how do we not allow this to happen again? semiconductors have been so essential to nearly every single industry the chip shortage has forced the white house to take steps to shore up the chip supply chain in the united states
0: all right good information again if you're trying to buy a car these days it's an uphill climb because of computer chip shortage worldwide at least it's an equal opportunity shortage from all that i've been able to gather again that video courtesy of cnbc's jordan smith when the y'all show comes back after this quick time out i'm going to tell you about what books are atop the bestsellers list that'll close out hour two of talk with an accent on all things southern If you like working with numbers and helping people, you might have tax pro potential. You could turn your passion for tax prep and helping people into a career with us. Income tax classes start September the 1st at Dyersburg, Humboldt, Martin, Union City, and Ripley offices. For more information, call 731-285-0749. That's 731-285-0749. You could be a tax pro.
1: August is always the hottest month of the year, so we're having a back-to-cool sale all month long at Gene Langley Ford and Humble. Hi, this is Sarah Beth Langley. Save some cool cash this month on Explorers, Escapes, Expeditions, Edges, Broncos, and F-150s. Visit our website for a cool selection of used inventory updated daily. No hot air here, just chill folks doing honest business for over 40 years. You really should try Gene Langley Ford before you buy. The dealership cool built.
3: This is WTJS, Alamo, Jackson, News Talk, West Tennessee.
0: Wrapping up this second hour of y'all, going to get our book reading on right now with a quick look at the best-selling books out there in the marketplace, according to the New York Times bestsellers. Your number one book this week on the fiction category list is Laura Dave's The Last Thing He Told Me. Emily Henry's book, it's been out a couple of months. It's number two, People We Meet on Vacation. This book's been out about a month and kind of looks like it has a southern theme going on. The Paper Palace from Miranda Coley Heller. It's at number three on the combined ebook fiction list. Danielle, Danielle Silva's The Cellist It's only been out three weeks. It's number four on the list and also out for about two months now at number five on the New York Times bestsellers list. It ends with us from Colleen Hoover on the nonfiction list from the New York Times bestsellers. Remaining at number one, the great one, Mark R. Levine and American Marxism. That's been out three weeks, doing quite well. Carol Leoning and Philip Rucker's i alone can fix it. It's about Donald Trump's final year in office. It's number two, the author, 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 off say that five thousand times fast, authoritarian moment from Ben Shapiro. Another one of the talking heads that you probably have seen. It's brand new. It's out this week, and it is number three on the nonfiction list. Another talking head from Fox, Jesse Waters. How I Saved the World is at number four. And closing out the top five is Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score. Those are your New York Times bestsellers list. I also want to give a shout out to Amazon. One of their new and noteworthy books out is a novel called Sully from John Grisham. That's been out a few weeks. It's doing quite well. And those are your best-selling books. That wraps up Hour 2. More of the Y'all Show is coming your way. We've got Hour number 3 and a whole lot of fun. Don't miss out on it. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with your host, John Rawls. Hello, we're back on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with your host, John Rawl, and we got one more hour. That's what the boss man has allowed us to sit here and ramble and that's what we're gonna do we're gonna put a little y'all in your drawl for the next hour we've got a lot of sports stuff to pass along we're on a 44 city tour across the southeast and the calendar today when i opened it up it said we got to talk about the vanderbilt commodores so we already talked about clark lee's squad for 2021 and hour number one In this hour three of the Y'all Show, we're going to talk about the university itself, the prestigious university that is Vanderbilt, located in Nashville. We'll discuss some of the famous alumni who have attended VU, and we'll tell you about some of the traditions. Some would say the most famous tradition at Vanderbilt is losing. Come on now. It's going to be about what you will find when you go to a football game or a sporting event in Nashville, and you cheer on those Commodores, and Vanderbilt will surprise you. This is a program that's put out a couple of national championships in recent years, and football, they're still kind of waiting around for that one, but yes, it's all Vanderbilt Commodores, our latest stop on our tour across the South, that's coming up here this hour. We have more headlines, what's going on across the South, that will get you here this hour and we've got more sports news and notes to share with you. Our phone number to text if you've got something to say or if you want to call us, it's 803-816-1170. Our website is you com. It's the South's homepage. Go there now and find incredible content. Content that will make you laugh. I think some of it might even make you cry. But we know it'll inform you. And it'll also, we think, entertain you. It's y'all.com, the South's homepage. Encourage you to go there and learn about your part of the world. John Rawl, thanking you again for being a part of the show. We are available if you miss any portion of the show. We're on various podcast options. You can find us on Spotify. Just search for y'all show. You can find us on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, Stitcher. Did I say Spotify? I think I did. I got, got so many, it's kind of hard to keep up. Yeah, I didn't, when I was coming up through the radio schools of the world, they didn't tell us you had to learn 20 different podcasts when you were doing your show of not even podcast, but where, where, you're, where your show is available. And that's kind of what's happened these days. We're also on Apple Podcasts. That's one of my favorites. If you've got an iPhone or an iPad, It's that beautiful purple icon that's on your desktop, and you just go there, and you search the little magnifying glass, search for y'all show, and it's right there, and all you got to do is hit, like it, just like it, like it, like it, and boom, it's coming to you each day when we put up a new show. We love being on the radio. Gosh, we love our radio affiliates. We're just thankful for all of our affiliates, thankful for all of our wonderful listeners on our great radio stations. But sometimes you've got other things going on with life. You get that phone call that you don't want. you got that telemarketer calling you for the 20th time today. And if that's the case, that's why the Y'all Show, available in podcast form, is it's your friend because we are available for you on your own schedule. And you can find out what's going on in the South that way. We are the only show in the whole world that takes three hours each day and let you know what's going on in the south we combine the news the politics the business the sports the food the travel the fun the good the bad a little bit of everything the history and we just kind of mix it all up here in this big old jambalaya pot we call the y'all show and we thank you here on this wednesday edition for being a part Of Y'all looking at what's going on sports-wise, well, frankly, there's not a whole lot of sports news happening today. As football teams I know are in camp, the college football teams, the NFL teams are most of them traveling today because they've got Thursday night games and Friday games, preseason week number one. You've got a couple of teams out there having joint practices in the NFL, which is kind of neat. Sometimes these teams are from different conferences, and they get together for a day or two and practice, maybe even hang out a little bit, maybe do a little trash talking. Then they have their preseason game, of which some of these players don't even play in, like Aaron Rodgers. And, But it's, it's kind of a neat thing. Some teams have multiple combined practices here in the two or three weeks left of preseason football. And that's good for the fans if you're able to go and see. Now, I'll remind you, NFL fans of the South, that the NFL has a policy where you cannot come within 20 feet of a player or a official or a person on the staff. No autographs, no pictures, none of that. They're trying to protect players from COVID outbreaks. But they're out practicing, and you can, in most cases, see these NFL greats getting ready for the start of the 2021 season and as mentioned the college teams also underway most of your college teams i've been seeing it on youtube let me get a sip of this delicious sweet tea over here beside me because when i start talking about football and especially college football man it's kind of a it's kind of an emotional time for me we got a lot of stuff coming up here in a couple of weeks with the start of college football, and we're excited about it. You probably are aware if you've been a longtime listener of the show of uh, something called General Gridiron, and General Gridiron. It looks like's coming back for about his twelfth season of forecasting college football. That takes a lot of work, but we're going to be doing it. It looks like because y'all want it. Not y'all is in the y'all show, but y'all is in the y'all audience want to hear. General Gridiron's prediction on the South's college football games. So we got that ahead. We will have the Y'all kickoff show. That will be available here each Friday of the Y'all show. And essentially what that is, we take a full hour of this show, where we're normally a three-hour show. We'll take one of the three hours and turn it into all college football talk heading into the weekend. And that show is available for radio stations to air completely separate of carrying the y'all show so even if you're not a y'all show affiliate you could be interested in carrying the one-hour y'all show and its kickoff version it's called the y'all kickoff show so that's coming up within a month i just got a text from one of my college show host wanting to know when we're going to get started on that show and i got to respond to him and i will it's just a reminder we're just days away From toe meets leather. All right, let's give you, speaking of college football, the latest out of Baylor. The NCAA announced today they are not going to punish Art Briles and Baylor University for those sexual assault allegations. Now, it was back in 2016 that the veteran coach got fired at Baylor. And today, five years after that firing and a scathing review, of Baylor's handling of sexual assault allegations made against students including football players at Baylor University. Today the NCAA ruled that Art Briles and Baylor University did not I repeat did not violate its rules by their inaction so they let things slide and according to the NCAA they, they weren't in violation of anything that's a little surprising Now, it's not going to remedy the issue of Art Briles essentially being kicked out of sports for the last several years. I think he is a high school coach in Texas these days, but he's been kicked off the national stage. This is a guy who took a Baylor program and made it a national power, and Matt Rule came in behind him and and did it again. But Art Briles, you have to feel like, is a little bit, happy about what's happened today with the NCAA again announcing that he and Baylor University did not violate the NCAA's rules by choosing to have inaction. action. They didn't do anything when there were these allegations made about sexual assaults and more on the Baylor football team and on the Baylor campus that the rule that's the news out of the Big 12 today. Also a story up at ESPN, you might want to check out from NFL Nation on ESPN. They've got an article up about position battles to watch in training camp, and that includes quarterback positions for teams like the Patriots, Broncos, and Saints. They go through every one of the 32 franchises and discuss the issues going on in training camp and I'm just going to kind of randomly go through here and pick about three or four teams and let you know what ESPN has to say. We'll start off first with let's choose the Tennessee Titans. According to this article, right tackle is a big concern in training camp. As they write, what once was a three man race has expanded to include veteran tackle David Quisenberry. Free agent addition Kendall Lamb appears to have the inside track toward the starting spot for the season over, while Ty Sambreo hasn't done much due to injury. A position that doesn't get a lot of ink, but a critical position for the Tennessee Titans in the offseason. Tennessee boosting its offense with the addition of Julio Jones. They've got a very good quarterback there leading the program, a very good running back in the backfield, already a good receiver in A.J. Brown. And with this questionable position with the offensive line right tackle if they had that remedied before the start of the season nashville's nfl team could be one heck of a force in 2021 what about your defending super bowl champions the tampa bay buccaneers what kind of questions do we have about tom brady's team heading into the 2021 season according to espn it's the wide receiver position that is a question mark heading into the 2021 season. The position group has pro bowlers Mike Evans. He's got Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown. But still, those guys have many years on their resume. And according to this article, Coach Arians and more might have to be looking elsewhere in Buck's camp for help for Tom Brady. Who's to say that Gronk, is going to have the of year this year when the few times he was called on last year. Is he going to be available in the tight end position this year? That's a fun read if you want to check that out. And I'll go ahead and pick one team. Let's see. We've had an AFC and an NFC team. Flip a coin here. It says AFC. What is another AFC South team that we can talk about real quick? Let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And according to this article, a position battle to watch there for – Coach Urban Meyer's ball club is the offensive tackle position. Second-round pick Walker Little, according to this article, has been very impressive in camp, so much so that right tackle Jawan Taylor and left tackle Cam Robinson better be on notice, according to this ESPN article. Coach Meyer, the the first-year coach of the Jags, said both players needed to be better in 2021 than they were last season. Now, the Jaguars picked up the fifth-year option on Cam Robinson that will pay him $13.75 million this year. He's not a lock to start if Little, who played left tackle at Stanford and has begun cross-training at right tackle this past week, if he continues to impress. It's a lot of money going out to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And now with Trevor Lawrence behind center at quarterback, and if his offensive tackle position is all fired up and ready for the start of the season – Watch for the Jags and Duval to be a much-improved team, and they probably won't have that first pick of the NFL draft in 2022 if they have the players do what they're supposed to do and get back to some winning ways. Surely to goodness, surely to goodness, Jags fans, you just have to be better in 2021, and you surely can't be on the bottom when it's all said and done after... December rolls around. If you're on the bottom of the AFC South and the Houston Texans are ahead of you, we know the Colts and the Titans should be in good shape this year competing for the division crown. But Jags fans, I, I, I just feel for you if you're back where you are or where you've been in recent years in Jacksonville, Florida, bottom of the AFC South. Hope that doesn't happen for you, but I bet you the Texan fans of the world are sure hoping that happens for you. (laughs) Y'all talk with a Southern accent. That's what we do each and every day. When we come back, we've got more college football talk. Today, our focus is on the Vanderbilt Commodores. We'll discuss the university, we'll tell you about some of the famous alumni, and we'll discuss some of the great traditions of Vanderbilt University. That's ahead on our show that's all about the South.
1: The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's Y'all Show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase.
0: Man, we've been on this tour across the South for about three weeks now (laughs) is it ever going to end and i'm not asking that because i'm complaining woo this is fun we have already been to places like birmingham and conway and we've taken you to greenville north carolina we've taken you already to gosh we've gone to so many places it's hard to keep track well we've already been in knoxville this week we were in miami florida on tuesday and today we're in a place that i love i grew up in this town essentially as a young man a young adult rather i am taking you today on our tour across the southeast to the home of the vanderbilt commodores nashville tennessee VU is our latest stop on our tour across the South. The mighty black and gold of the SEC. <music> Broadcasting from the Dixie Cafe, this is The Y'all Show, and we're on this tour taking you across the Southeast. And the historic Vanderbilt University in Nashville is our stop today. Hour one, we've already walked through Vanderbilt's 2021 schedule. They get things going against ETSU. The Bucks come into Vanderbilt Stadium for a game on September 4th. Vanderbilt's SEC opener is at home against Georgia on September 25th. Clark Lee is the new coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores. And to tell you a little bit more about the history of Vanderbilt's football team, we actually didn't get to squeeze this in in our number one when we talked so much about the X's and O's. Vanderbilt has been playing college football since 1890. That's a long time. And along the way, did you realize that Vanderbilt has claimed in the 121 years of playing football, 131 years rather, I didn't go to Vanderbilt, so I can't. Do math very well. They've got two unclaimed national championships to their credit, 1921 and 1922. So they're celebrating this year a hundred-year anniversary of an unclaimed national championship. Go ahead, Vanderbilt. Alabama does it all the time. There, back in the early 20s, Dan McGookin he did a great job leading Vanderbilt to a 7-0-1 record in 21. Followed that up in 22 with a 8-0 record, 8-0-1 record. Those darn ties got him every time. I wonder who he had a tie against in 1922. Let's see here. Let me pull that up. Vanderbilt's tie came against the Michigan Wolverines, a game played at Dudley Field in Nashville, a nothing-nothing score against the Wolverines. How about this? Vanderbilt back then, they defeated Texas future SEC member played that game in Dallas won that one 20 to 10. they beat Mercer the Bears came up to Nashville for a game beat them 25 to nothing beat Tennessee in Knoxville 14 to 6 they killed Sewanee 26 nothing beat Georgia at Sanford Stadium that year even beat a team called Henderson Brown now known as the Henderson Henderson State Reddies I think that's in Arkansas Played that game in Nashville, beat them there. And that only setback was a tie in the 1922 Vanderbilt football season. Okay, now to more non-athletic history of Vanderbilt University. This private research university on the west end side of the city of Nashville. It was founded in 1873, and it's named in honor of shipping and rail magnate Cornelius Vanderbilt as Cornelius provided the school its initial $1 million endowment. Vanderbilt hoped that his gift and the greater work of the university would help to heal the sectional wounds of the recently ended War of Northern Aggression, or as Vanderbilt puts it, the Civil War. Today, Vanderbilt has approximately 14,000 students. They have as many Almost as many postgraduate students as undergraduates, with about 7,000 each at the beautiful campus right there in the Hillsborough Village area of Nashville. Originally, this school started with a connection to the Methodist Episcopal Church South. And from what I remember reading about in those years after the Civil War, there was a split that this school had vanderbilt its original name was central university and somewhere along the way vanderbilt the man comes in gives them a bunch of money and then this school had a split with the methodist episcopal church south and that split led the organizers of that denomination to go out to texas and start a school called Southern Methodist University. And they also expanded Emory University in Atlanta because of what was happening with what was Vanderbilt saying, we don't need you, we don't want you. Okay, we'll take our toys and run and create this school called SMU. And Vanderbilt has been doing just fine in some way since there. Now, athletically, Vanderbilt, if you know anything about it, it's struggled. From a football standpoint, most of the history, James Franklin did an incredible job, so much so he got hired to go back to his native Pennsylvania and be the head coach at Penn State. But the university itself is one of the leading schools in the Southeast from an academic standpoint. The Vanderbilt University Medical Center is such a huge force in Tennessee and throughout the Mid-South. The endowment that Vanderbilt has $10 billion is the endowment that Chancellor Daniel Deermeyer has there at this private school located in Nashville, Tennessee, and a member of the Southeastern Conference, a founding member going way back to the 1930s of the SEC. And unlike Sewanee, who gave up the ship, Vanderbilt's been sailing mighty. Tall and proud in the SEC all these years, despite the criticism. What about the famous alumni of Vanderbilt University? They got quite a quite a list, quite a list of prominent fellows. How about the Texas governor, Greg Abbott? He got a law degree at Vanderbilt University. How about former vice president and Tennessee native Al Gore of Vanderbilt University alumnus? James Patterson, Willie Geist from the Today Show, U.S. Senator John Kennedy, of Louisiana is a Vanderbilt alumnus. Skip Bayless, you know him from TV, a Vanderbilt alumnus. How about the C- governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, a Vanderbilt alum? Amy Grant, singer, Vanderbilt alum. How about Lamar Alexander, longtime Tennessee governor and just retired U.S. senator from Tennessee, has a degree from Vanderbilt. I didn't realize this, one of my favorite singers, Roseanne Cash, attended Vanderbilt. One of Vanderbilt's greatest alumni is Dinah Shore, the starlet out of Winchester, Tennessee, a Vanderbilt alum. You also have a whole bunch of famous alumni. Vanderbilt's doing okay on the famous alumni. In fact, Ranker.com has their own breakdown of Vanderbilt alumni. And I'm going to go through their list of, we'll go through the top 10 Vanderbilt alumni according to Ranker.com with a surprise of who's number one. Their 10th most famous Vanderbilt alumnus is Jay Cutler, the recently retired NFL quarterback who did a fantastic job leading the Commodores back in 2003 and 2004. Cutler is number 10 on this list. Number nine is John Tigert, who was a university president, professor, and a college sports coach. John Tigert. I am not all that familiar with John Tigert, so thanks to something called Wikipedia, let me tell you who John Tigert was. He was a Rhodes Scholar. How about that? But he was a commissioner of education at one time under Warren Harding and played a little football at Vanderbilt, played football, ran track. And as a senior, Tigert was honored as All-Southern Halfback for the Vanderbilt Commodore football team. In his final game, he scored the first points netted all season against rival Sewanee. Okay, for some light reading, maybe you want to read up on John Tigert, T-I-G-E-R-T, learn more about this. Ninth most famous Vanderbilt alumnus, according to Ranker.com. Number eight, here's a name that's a little bit more familiar, James Dickey, the novelist. He died in 97. James Dickey, I think, wrote uh, Deliverance. That was one of his most famous books that got turned into a movie with Burt Reynolds and other great actors. James Dickey, a Vanderbilt alumnus. Did you know that? Number seven on the list is singer-songwriter Amy Ray, a member of the Indigo Girls. A Vanderbilt alum. I did not know that. Number six, another writer and poet, Robert Penn Warren, who died in 1989. One of the founders of New Criticism. A Vanderbilt alum. Up next is billionaire John Arnold. Hedge fund manager, former natural gas trader, instrumental in the Enron scandal. The fifth most famous Vanderbilt alumnus john d arnold according to ranker.com number four someone i've never heard of sorry vanderbilt john amachi a english psychologist consultant and former professional basketball player he played college basketball at vanderbilt but he is listed number four on vanderbilt's list of famous alumni and The aforementioned Dinah Shore, the Winchester, Tennessee native, former girlfriend of Burt Reynolds. She was born Fanny Rose Shore, and she, of course, was a big, big star in the mid-20th century as a singer, actress, and a TV personality. The top-charting female vocalist of the 1940s was Dinah Shore, and she attended Vanderbilt University. Number two is TV producer and novelist James Patterson, a Vanderbilt alumnus. Among his works, the Alex Cross, Michael Bennett, Women's Murder Club, Daniel X, and Maximum Ride series. An author and philanthropist, James Patterson, Vanderbilt alumnus. And your number one Vanderbilt alumnus, according to the website ranker.com. I've had a chance to interview this person before. She is from Murray, Kentucky. And as I set this up earlier in the y'all show, although Vanderbilt may not have all the conference championships, they may not have the claimed national championships in football. they got a couple in baseball. For all the problems Vanderbilt has caused by losing so much, John Rawl, your friendly y'all show host, It's going ahead, today I'm going to go ahead and declare, because I think I'm right on this, first of all, that Vanderbilt University is the SEC's lone institution that has produced a Victoria's Secret model, (laughs) Molly Sims, the Murray, Kentucky native, who has appeared in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue, she she played the role of Delinda DeLine in the NBC drama Las Vegas. She's been a Victoria's Secret model. She's absolutely beautiful. She's absolutely Southern. She's 48 years young and looks like she just got out of high school. At Vanderbilt, she was a member of tri Delta. Delta, 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 can I help you, help you, help you? She actually got her modeling career going while at Vanderbilt and left school. She dropped out at 19 to pursue modeling, but she was smart enough to go to Vanderbilt. And she grew up, again, in Murray, Kentucky. Her parents ran a bookstore for Murray State students, and she abandoned the racers to go be a commodore. I'd say that worked out pretty well for Molly Sims. Again, according to the website, ranker.com, model, supermodel, actress, and Kentucky girl, Molly Sims is your number one Vanderbilt University alumnus. Not bad, not bad. Now, as we wrap up talking about the doors, what are some of the traditions that you'll find at Vanderbilt? How about drop the anchor? That happens just before kickoff. The Vanderbilt anchor was adopted in 2004 as a symbol of unity and strength, and it accompanies the team to all home and away games. Before each home game, a group or individual is selected to drop the anchor at midfield to mark the beginning of the evening's events. And during the years, you've seen a whole bunch of famous alumni, faculty, students, and more come and drop the anchor and this anchor, again, if you've ever seen a Vanderbilt football game in the last few years, they carry this anchor with the football team across from across the street where their – I guess their locker room is there. Vanderbilt, like most SEC teams, has a abundance of money that they continuously are doing upgrades and more. And so it wouldn't surprise me if Vanderbilt, even in the last year, has a whole different locker room situation. But, yeah, the tradition of the anchor and more, and also it – Vanderbilt, you've got the Admiral. That's that stadium horn that plays whenever there's like a Vanderbilt touchdown. That's, if you're not a Vanderbilt fan, it's kind of annoying, but that's a tradition going way back. I saw my first game at Vanderbilt Stadium in 1992, and I've seen a bunch of games there throughout the years. But Vanderbilt University and Vanderbilt Stadium, one of the oldest venues in the Southeastern Conference, also. At Vanderbilt, you got Star Walk. That's what happens before the game. Outside, you got Vandyville, Door Alley. You got Mr. Commodore, a popular mascot that floats around. Also, the fact that Vanderbilt is located in Nashville is one of the great things about Vanderbilt University. Truly one of the South's great cities, truly one of the country's great cities. And Vanderbilt University is the only major college located in the city limits of Nashville, Tennessee. And then not long ago, even though Vanderbilt wasn't necessarily putting out SEC championships, they had at Vanderbilt in recent times three consecutive wins over their in-state foe, <laughs> the Tennessee Vols. That's not bad, Vandy. And all I can tell you, Vanderbilt fans, when you do something like that and you beat a giant school like Tennessee three consecutive years and you're Vanderbilt University team with a pretty horrible record throughout the years all I can say is oh hell yeah Vandy <laughs> Vandy the Commodores today stop on our tour across the southeast for more on Vanderbilt go see my friend Chris Lee's website VandySports.com going to give him a free plug as he has been doing a great job for so many years covering Vanderbilt sports. Tomorrow on the Y'all Show, the Maryland Terrapins will be our spotlight school. When we come back on Y'all, we'll give you an update on the news of the day. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Exit. Just a couple of minutes left here as we wrap up our midweek edition of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Quick look at headlines here before we get out of here. The latest out of the tropics. We've got a tropical storm headed toward Florida. Tropical storm Fred not expected to hit Florida until early Saturday morning. And forecasters from the National Hurricane Center are currently predicting this to be a tropical storm. But that obviously could change All of Florida currently in Tropical Storm Fred's path. It's Cone of Uncertainty is what it's called. Also, if you're in coastal regions of Georgia and Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, might want to stay a little bit tuned in to weather radio and find out what's going on again. Tropical Storm Fred, now a news story as it's churning in the tropics at the current time. Some developing news coming out of the FDA, it's expected to authorize COVID-19 vaccine booster shots for some immunocompromised people, and that's expected to happen, the authorization, in 48 hours or less, as the Food and Drug Administration expected to announce these booster shots for some people who are immunocompromised. This would be a third shot of the current two-dose Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. That announcement could slide, according to sources, but this is the current timing, according to this developing story. NBC News was first to report the expected announcement, again, of a COVID-19 vaccine booster for those who are immun- immunocompromised. That story developing Today, Also developing today, watch out if you are trying to get one last swim in our region's waters before Labor Day. We've had three shark bite encounters on southeast beaches. Two separate shark attacks in a one-week span on Savannah, Georgia beaches. That's somewhat unusual since the area usually sees relatively, relatively few shark bites in a given year. Now... Overall, the number of shark attacks in the country is not on the increase. Recently, a lifeguard on Hilton Head Island in South Carolina suffered deep cuts to the chest area, expected to survive after being bitten back on August 3rd. Tybee Island, Georgia, a well-known surfing instructor, was bitten back on July 27th. And then South Carolina just recorded a unprovoked shark bite also. So at least on the Atlantic side of the south, very dangerous times. If you're scared of sharks, you might want to stay out of the water. I saw where somebody got bit in knee deep water over the weekend. Be careful out there. Don't wear red. Florida consistently leads the country in the number of unprovoked shark bites. They had 16 shark bites in 2020, according to the International Shark Attack File. The t- 16 bites in 2020 in Florida represented 48% of the country's total shark bites in 2020. North Carolina saw three cases of shark bites last year. South Carolina and Alabama each recorded a shark bite, just one shark bite total in 2020. So it's still well, well worth your time if you're looking to get out to a beach before the summer comes to a halt. Don't be scared of Jaws. Every case I told you about, yeah, you had a shark bite, but nobody was kilt, to my knowledge. Nobody had extremely severe injuries. I don't know about the person that got hauled off to the hospital there in Savannah. But what a wonderful part of the world we live in with all of our different beach options. And we got, we got two completely different beach options. I, I stress to you, if you're a Gulf Coast beach kind of person, please do yourself a favor And make a trip somewhere on the Atlantic side just just once. And if you're an Atlantic Beach vacationer, typically, please go to the Panhandle. Go to maybe Orange Beach in Alabama. Or really go out and go down to Padre Island in Texas if you want to do something really crazy from a Gulf Coast standpoint. Share the wealth. Have fun. It's summertime, y'all. Enjoy. And lastly, here on y'all, speaking of getting out and enjoying, the National Parks anniversary is going on and you can benefit. The National Park Service will mark its 105th year of existence on August 25th, and most National Park Service parks will offer free camping that August 25th weekend. You might want to double check with your local park, but we've got lots of great national parks here in the south and take advantage of the Park Service's birthday party coming up with free camping right before the Labor Day weekend. That's a good way to send summer out in style if you're looking to do something really fun. Y'all talk with a southern accent. It's going to wrap up right after this. Stay tuned. We appreciate y'all being a part of the fun. Well, gentlemen and ladies, we have come to the end of another show all about the South. want to thank you for tuning us in on great radio stations across Dixie. And for all of you who catch us each and every day in podcast form on Spotify, our iHeartRadio, TuneIn and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coming up on the Thursday, y'all, show, our spotlight school will be the Maryland Terrapins. We'll tell you about some great festivals taking place across the Southeast this weekend plus entertainment news from hollywood and nashville coming your way on the thursday y'all show all that plus news and sports news and so much fun 803-816-1170 is the way you can reach out to us if you would like to get involved with the y'all show no matter what time of day you're listening to us john rawl signing off have a great rest of y'all's day and keep it southern y'all